Let's begin. Um, all right, so first the introduction to, this is an introduction to the entire series. Um, and so there's two reasons why um, I wanted to do this series. We're going to look at addictions, depression, and the people pleasing. Uh, the first reason is I really wanted to bring the gospel to bear on real life rather than just being pretty slogans on Sundays. Um, the Bible says again and again that the gospel should impact the way we live, right, Monday through Saturday. And it's not just sort of like something we hear. It's not just mere talk on Sunday mornings, but it actually has this transforming power. And I wanted to show that in these very real everyday problems of addiction, depression, and so forth, that it bears relevance, right? I think a lot of times we as Christians sort of like disconnect the gospel from everyday problems. You know, we say, oh, the gospel's for how you become a Christian. Everyday problems, that's different. Actually, that's not true. Hey, welcome, guys. There's a handout. The second reason why I want to uh, do this series called Practical Theology is because I feel like, or let me read it, demonstrate that our deepest psychological problems finds its ultimate cure in the gospel. Um, I think, like, sometimes people have this impression that Christianity in the Bible can solve, like, the relatively easy problems, but, like, the deep psychological problems of like addiction and depression and so forth. These we need to refer to professionals, to uh, secular psychology and everything. And uh, not to say that secular psychology isn't useful and helpful, um, and, they out, and they are, but I ultimately think that uh, secular psychology is ultimately too shallow. <laughs> it doesn't provide uh, the deep, deep analysis and the deep hope that I think the gospel has. And so I think I really want to show you, because when we look at especially addictions and depression, these are really, really deep, deep issues. And I want to show that the gospel has power to deal with even these things, right? Okay. So um, so let me read some three verses, and then we'll begin. Romans 1.16. Uh, Dan, can you read it? Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes. Okay, and then uh, Ashley, next verse. Uh, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Yeah, I love these two verses because what it tells us is that the gospel is not just doctrines you believe in order to become a Christian. It's not just mere talk, as Paul says. It's power. Power to change our lives, power to transform the heart, power to deal with our, our problems. And so that's what this whole series is about. And then um, Eric, uh, James. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Um, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Yeah, we're supposed to do the word, not just hear the word, right? And so, this is what the whole series is about. So, let me give a very brief, um, just to get us thinking about some common addictions so that we have some concrete reference. Um... What are some common addictions that your friends or that you see even in the, our church? What are some uh, common addictions that people struggle with? Not that you struggle with, but others. So you don't feel pressure. Alcohol. Yes, alcohol is a big one in our church, actually. Um, and I guess its uh, cousin is drugs. It's alcohol, substance abuse, right? Anything else? Spending money. Money, okay. Money or shopping. Or materialism, right? Or gambling. Gambling, okay, that's a good one. I, related to money, 
because you are gambling money. Um, anything else? Jeff, there's a hand up. What's some big addictions out there? Love or relationships. Who? Love or relationships. Yes. People. Love. To a certain person. I put a dot here because I'm thinking of three in particular that our church struggles with. Hey. <laughs> let me remind myself. Oh, huh? Yeah, I, I put a dot next to the ones that I think are... People are addicted to the gospel? Interesting. Knowledge? Knowledge? All right. Huh? Yes. This is a big one our church struggles with. I'll call it pornography. Oh. Because that's what it is. Pornography and uh, sex. Right? And then one more that I think our church struggles with. Just from talking to people. Gossip. That's a good one, too. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'll put gossip right here. Oh, gluttony? Gluttony? Yes, that's a good one. Well, yes, video games. Uh, <laughs> video games, and I'll and I'll put that in the category of the internet addiction. I think we all suffer from various degrees of internet addiction. Um, and uh, just to share some stories, uh, um, first about video games. I recently, uh, first of all, I actually was addicted to video games in college. And so I vividly remember just like the power it has. And uh, I read um, an article recently about this uh, couple in South Korea. They were this married couple that had a newborn baby. And they were so addicted to WoW, actually. They were both into WoW that uh, I I guess like in WoW you have these super long quests that can take like 10 hours. And so they would just hear their baby uh, crying and screaming, hungry. But they would neglect the baby because they're just so engaged in the video game. And occasionally they would go and feed the baby. Eventually... The, the gaps between the feedings were so long and severe that the baby died. And when the paramedics came, the baby was like this shriveled up skeleton in her crib. I mean, that's like the power of addiction, right? That you neglect something so, I, don't, I mean, none of you guys are mothers, but something so visceral and so like deep, right? That's the power. Um, I've been talking to a friend who um, started out with pornography and then he graduated to uh, uh, random hookups and then uh, he eventually left his wife and kids and uh, it really did start out with an addiction to pornography which accelerated and so I think these addictions are very powerful right I mean the destruction I was just talking with um, uh, uh, Carolyn yesterday night we were having dinner together and she was sharing with me stories of people addicted to gambling and just like the amount of destruction and uh, devastation that it causes. It just like whole lives flush down the drain. And so uh, I want to start out then with uh, what is addiction. Um, I guess you can pull the di- a definition from everywhere, anywhere, but I found this definition to be the easiest to read. I pulled this from Wikipedia, the source of all knowledge on the web. Um, let, me, uh, let me read it for you guys. Addiction is the continued use of a mood altering substance or behavior um, despite adverse consequences, right? Despite bad things happening to you as a result of using it, or a neurological impairment, uh, we can talk about that a little bit later, uh, leading to such behaviors. Classic hallmarks of addiction include impaired control over substance behavior, uh, preoccupation with substance behavior, continued use despite consequences, and denial. Habits and patterns associated with addiction are typically characterized by immediate gratification, right, this is short-term reward, um, 
Ashley, I mean, um, Hannah, can you have the side door closed? Um, coupled with delayed deleterious effects, long-term cost. No, 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 not that. <laughs> close the side door. It's closed, it's closed already. Scott got, got it. Scott got it. Scott got it. What's the side door? Oh, the window. Uh, the auditorium. Scott got it. Uh, All right, so... Um, so if you look at this d definition, I really uh, like the definition um, um, because what do we see in addiction? Addiction is where you keep doing an activity that is really bad. You know it's bad. It like destroys your life, but you keep doing it, right? Um, in fact, you want to stop, but you can't help but to keep going on. And uh, I think there are sort of like um, two explanations for this. Um, out there, uh, one I'll call modern psychology. Modern psychology basically says that addiction is an illness, um, and it's really not your fault. Um, and what you, the solution is treatment, but you shouldn't really blame yourself too much. Um, and it's sort of like you, you liken it to a disease. And then I suppose on the other side extreme is sort of traditionalist. And traditionalists say it's addictions is really just willful, is there two L's in willful? Willful sins. And it's just a matter of applying some willpower. Just say you're not going to do this anymore. And the only reason why people keep going on is because they're just wicked, right? Um, wickedness is driving them to it. And I think um, that when the Bible, when you look at the Bible's understanding of addictions, the Bible will say that both of these perspectives is partially correct. Um, they both have a part of the truth, but they're both ultimately too shallow. So let me just put partially correct. Um, and so this is sort of my uh, long, can we give them a handout? Yeah. This is my introduction then to um, what is, the, how does the Bible understand addictions? The word addiction doesn't appear in the Bible, but uh, I think the Bible has a lot. It gives us incredibly deep paradigms to understand addiction that traditionalists miss out on and then moral psychology, moral, modern psychology completely misses on. So this is um, the Bible's doctrine of sin. Okay, so let's look at some verses, uh, which I think gives us a really compelling picture of addictions. Um, Genesis four. Uh, where were we? Christine, can you read that? Oh, well, let me just set it up really quickly. Genesis four should be super familiar because we just preached on it like a month ago. It's a story of uh, Cain contemplating murdering his brother Abel. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Yeah. So, again, this should be super um, familiar. Uh, God describes, the first time the word sin is used in the Bible, and God describes sin as crouching, uh, which is a word that you use to describe a wild beast, or particularly a lion. Right. So it's like a lion right before it pounces. And it kind of introduces this interesting paradox. Because on the one hand, Cain is contemplating murdering his brother. So is Cain the one doing it? 
Is Cain choosing, is it volitional? Or is sin this beast stalking Cain who will grab Cain and just control Cain and Cain is really sort of like he is a victim or of this greater beast called sin, right? Is, is he out of control? And the answer is, it's both, right? Uh, and I think that captures both aspects that we see out there in terms of explanation of addiction. Sin is something that you choose to do, but when you welcome sin into your life, eventually it takes over. Right? It's like this alien beast, and it controls what you do so that you're out of control, so that you feel helpless, so that you feel like you can't stop. It's both. Right? Um, and I think this uh, metaphor of crouching also helps us to understand another aspect, because when you're crouching, right, you're laying low, you're sort of shrinking your body because you're trying to what? I covered this in the Ciao. Why, why, would a, why would an animal <clears throat> crouch? Um, be like hidden. Hidden, yes. Oh. <laughs> right? So, the, the, the Wikipedia definition talks about denial, right? Nobody ever says, you know what? I'm going to be addicted to pornography. No, everyone starts out by saying, this is fun. This is great. But I can stop anytime I want. I can control this behavior. I will not look at it at work <laughs> during my lunch breaks. Um, but because it hides, it fools you, and it lures you so that you initially start out thinking you're doing it, you're in control, you can stop at any point, but eventually it takes over as this beast and it has you, right? I think this is a really scary vision of, of what sin is, but it's a really, really helpful understanding to give us this paradigm of how do we understand addiction. Um, let's go on to the next verse, which is really a parallel verse in the New Testament, First Peter 5. Where am I? Am I at you, Wade? Yeah. yeah. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Yeah, so it says that, um, Peter says, be watchful, right? Uh, be vigilant. Why? Because Satan is out there prowling around. Now, that's a little bit of an interesting language. It's a bit um, a paradoxical. Because if it's Satan out there to get you, why do you need to be all that vigilant and watchful? Right? Satan's like... Right? And then you're like, whoa, Satan, you look so ugly. <laughs> Stay away from me. But the whole point is that Satan disguises himself, right? The word prowling there, again, describing the motions of, a, of, a, of an animal. Prowling, a cat prowling, they're very stealthy, right? So Satan completely disguises himself. So you have no idea. You don't know. But... So there's this aspect of you're helpless. So let's, let's put here. But there's another aspect that you're willful. Or that is volition. Right? Because why does Peter say be watchful, be vigilant, right? Stand firm. So there's this like dual, dual aspect of sin, which is you choose 
choices, decisions, but also it's this beast that deceives you, that tricks you, and then when it gets you, your life is his, right? Um, let me keep going on. John 8. Uh, Hannah, can you read this verse for me? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Yeah. Um... Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So, so deep, right? And uh, what Jesus is saying is that um, when you sin, you become enslaved to sin, right? That slave takes the control over, over you. And I think, um, and so this is like the biblical understanding of addiction. Addiction is slavery to sin, right? It's not just you doing sin, it's sin holding you, grabbing you, and controlling you, right? And um, I think in that sense, when we understand addiction as slavery to sin, all of us, to some degree, suffer addiction, right? Addiction isn't just people with some severe malady or some deep psychosis. You know, maybe I was looking at some percentages, like maybe like 10 to 20% of the population they're just jacked up, <laughs> right? They're the ones struggling. We're all struggling with this thing because all of us have experienced slavery where we come back to the old sins and we don't want to. We say, Lord, I repent. I'll never do it again, but we go back. What's going on? And you know, maybe the answer of modern psychology is like these, you, you've developed these neural pathways, these reward, you know, um, pathways that, you know, you, you keep seeking it. I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that answer, but I think ultimately it is a shallow answer. It is unsatisfactory. The deep, deep spiritual answer is that sin enslaves. You cannot sin without opening the door to becoming enslaved to it. Um, sin is never just one time I do it, mm, sin, that was enjoyable cast it aside and walk through. No, right? Sin is a lion. It's a beast. Um, any questions? Or any comments? I have a question. Yes. Doesn't Paul say we're no longer slaves to sin? Yes. So, because you missed the introduction, <laughs> right? Paul talks about the gospel as a power. And when he talks about power, he's talking about the power to break this slavery, <clears throat> right? Um... This is why, uh, you know, uh, when you go to AA, and AA actually incorporates a great deal of, like, religiousness, but um, all the sort of modern uh, psychology uh, tools are very helpful, and they can help you to, to some degree, like, uh, be, change your behavior. But I think the gospel ultimately has the only true answer, which is it goes to the very root of the issue, which is sin, right? To break the power of sin. Um, and there is hope. And actually, next week, we're going to talk about how does the gospel break. Today, we're just talking about how does sin enslave us and helping us to understand sort of the theological paradigms. And then next week will be the practical 
steps and tools. So great question. Um, let me read Romans. Let's let's move to, let's move on. To, oh oh, let me say this. And this is why, right? The traditionalists say, oh, all you need is willpower. All you need is the determination not to do it again. And willpower works for a while. But if any one of you have ever tried to solve the problem of sin with willpower, you know, willpower is temporary. It's a bandage. Um, and this is why willpower cannot work. Because we're enslaved. This is, we're talking about slavery. It's not, uh, willpower is not a sufficient solution. All right, let's move on. Romans 7. Where am I? Uh, Melissa, can you read this? I, when, when, by the way, when you read Romans 7, it's so haunting, right? Because Paul gives us this picture of what it is to struggle with sin. And I feel like you can just pretty much lift it and put it as like a confessional of an alcoholic at an AA meeting. I mean, it's just so um, evocative and so uh, <coughs> poignant. Go ahead. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not, for I do, not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Yeah, Paul very much affirms this theology, right, that sin is an independent power. That when you bring it into your life, it's no longer your choices, but it's sin doing it for you. But at the same time, you're doing it. So it doesn't take away... I mean, the traditionalists are absolutely correct, which is that there is an aspect of willfulness. There is an aspect of, of volition, your choices. But it's almost like you're at war with yourself, right? Part of you hates the sin, but part of you loves the sin, right? You want to stop, but you cannot stop. We're torn. There's this um, conflict within us. And uh, I think um, Paul and the Bible captures this war within us when we're struggling with sin so beautifully in a way that I think no modern paradigm or no modern explanation gives us this full deep picture. Um, any questions or comments before we move on? On uh where verse first Peter five verse eight it says be sober minded, be watchful. Yes. Is sober minded just like clean minded or does that mean not drunk? Yeah, I mean um it's 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 sober means like clear headed, um not um you know, not drunk. And so to be sober minded means you're you're very you're clear, you're you're very watchful, you you understand what's going on. And so Paul is saying Satan is out there. Sin is out there. Satan's throwing out temptations in front of you. And the goal is to kill you. It's to destroy you, to own you, to enslave you. And therefore, be watchful. Be sober-minded. Um, I think we have this sort of cavalier attitude to, as Christians sometimes. God forgives sin. You know, my job is to sin. God's job is to forgive. So, here's sin. And we just tell ourselves, oh, the Lord will forgive. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But that's certainly true. The Lord will forgive you. Right? You're not saved by your righteous acts. You're saved by the grace of Christ. But every time you sin, right? it's not just that sin. You're saying, Satan, <laughs> come on in. You know, you're just walking in front of the lion and you're 
um, enabling yourself to become enslaved. And so I think, um, if anything, the first thing we should do is this should really sober us up and it should really make us feel deeply uh, fearful of the power of sin. Sin is a power. It's not just actions. And uh, we should never take it lightly. We should have a very, uh, we should have a dead serious attitude towards sin. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Probably more than I, much more. So um, let, me, let me cross this out because it's kind of like become this crazy thing. Um, so there's two aspects to sin, which is, um, there's the, uh, what did I say? Okay. Voluntary, voluntary conscious aspect, you doing the sin, right? Self-conscious disobedience. And then there's the, um, there's the involuntary addiction, Right? I mean, if you talk to a hardcore addict, they cannot stop. You cannot say to them, hey, stop. And then the addict will say, you're right. <laughs> I should stop. I'm going to do it. They can't. It's involuntary. They're addicted. And the Bible says it's both. Both of them are going at the same time. And if you only see one, like if you only see addicts are helpless, then it's kind of a hopeless view, right? Like, there's no hope. Anyone who has struggled with addiction in their family, like you have a family member who's addicted, you feel hopeless, right? Because you're like, you're like, stop! You know, you're like, you, you're like, please, you're making me suffer. And then they're like, they're crying. They're like, oh, I didn't know I was making you suffer so bad. And then guess what? They're back at it, right? There's nothing you can do. So you feel helpless if you only concentrate that on that. But if you only concentrate on this, um, what, what, what did I write? Oh, if you only concentrate on this, then you completely underestimate the power of sin and, and the ability of sin to enslave. And so you have to keep both of them in mind together. All right, let's, let's move on. I feel like I, I thoroughly beat that horse. Okay. Um, next point, next page. Um, at root, uh, addiction is idolatry. So uh, here's another picture the Bible gives us. Um, Right? Idolatry is what? Is making something else other than God that which only God can be for you. So addiction is taking things like good feelings, um, which are good, but making it ultimate. Um, that would be like what? Alcoholism, right? Um, or it's taking power. I know someone who is uh, deeply addicted to video games, and this person told me that, um, you know, my life, the screen of my life was going downhill, but the screen and my avatar in my video game life was going up. And so it's, a, it's, it's like a power spectrum, right? And so, hey, why not stick with this life so much better? And so it's taking power and making that the ultimate thing, or it's taking a sense of connection, sense of belonging, um, which, you know, what's driving a lot of pornography, and making that the ultimate thing. And so... At root, addiction is really making something else God that isn't God. So it's um, breaking the first commandment. Um, okay, can you read uh, Exodus 20? You shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, and so the real question behind addictions is who, who is truly God? Or 
who is Lord? Is it your desires? Or is it God? Right? I think that's really, the, it boils down to this. Um, who's really your, your, um, your everything, your, your ultimate allegiance? Is it your own desires or is it God? And I think this question has deep, 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 deep relevance to every aspect of life. I'm having this conversation with this person and this person um, says to me, why, I mean, I have these deep, deep desires for something. Why would God say no? Why would God give me these deep desires? It's like that scene in the movie Amadeus, right? Salieri, I don't know if it's a super old movie. But there's a scene in the movie Amadeus where Salieri is like, God gave me these deep desires to be this great, super great composer. Why would God give me desires and then deny them to me? And the answer is because your desires is not Lord. God is Lord. And if you enshrine your desires as the ultimate thing, that's what ultimately leads to addiction. I think... uh, uh, to be a Christian means that you subordinate your desires because a lot of times our desires are broken, right? Don't obey your desires. So often your desires are jacked up. God is Lord and your desires are underneath God. But when you, put, when you enshrine desires over God, it leads to this. Addictions. Any questions or comments? All right, let's keep going on. Um... Now, why is it, and here's another paradigm the Bible gives us, why is it that addictions lead to slavery or idolatry leads to slavery? It's because behind idolatry is demonic power. And here, we have really, truly parted ways with modern psychology, or even the modern world, because the modern world says this whole idea of demon possession, Satan, devil, it's so antiquated. You guys don't really believe in Satan, do you? And I think the Bible talks about Satan quite a bit, and I think it is so deeply helpful because there is a supernatural evil out there that can, is the only explanation for why there's this persistence of evil. There's this systemic evil. And, um, um, and, and what the Bible says is that when you, uh, when you give in to your idolatry, what you're really doing is you're opening the door to, to Satan, right? In a sense... Slavery to sin or addictions is a kind of demon possession. Okay, um, I think when I hesitate to use that word because when people think demon possession, they think of uh, the movie Exorcist or something like that, and you're like, my head doesn't rotate 360 <laughs> degrees or anything like that. Um, but when you look at an addict, what you're really looking at is the power of Satan. Right? You're looking at demon possession. Um, and so let's let's read on. Uh, where are we now, Hannah? Did I still call you Hannah? Yeah, Ashley. I was Ashley. Oh. <laughs> Flattered. <laughs> Verse uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, what do I imply that, that food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with this. Yeah, I think Paul tells us some really deep uh, theology here. He says that when you go to these pagan feasts and you're offering things to idols, you know, people say, but an idol is nothing. There's no, there's, no, um, there's no God behind the idol. It's just an empty thing, right? Like when I give myself to pornography or when I give myself to alcohol, it's just that. There's nothing behind it. And Paul's telling us, no. When you idolize something or when you give yourself to idolatry, there's a power behind it, which is Satan. And you're participating, you're allying, you're connecting yourself to Satan. 
and this is where addiction comes into play. Um, Mark chapter 5 is, I think, a really haunting story. What happens is Jesus meets this demon-possessed man. And I think uh, demon, this man, you could think of him as the far, far, far end, the far, far end product of addiction and enslavement to sin. This is what happens. Where are we now? Let's rotate all the way back around to Dave. Can you read that, Mark 5? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the, the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an uncertain spirit, unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could uh, bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he um, wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one <coughs> had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Yeah, I think it's a really haunting picture. Here's this man who's completely taken over by this um, unclean spirit, and uh, no one can control it. When it says no one could bind him, I think it's a really compelling picture. No one could stop his behavior. And he ended up doing things that he would have never imagined doing, which is he's living in the tombs, which is this really filthy place. Um, and then what does it say at the very end? He was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. He was always just self-harming. And I think if you, just, you can just lift that up and take, strip out the, the nature references and say, that's an alcoholic. Right, or that's someone who's just completely addicted to video games. Someone no one can stop, completely taken over, and they're completely destroying their life. They're, just, they're flushing their life down the drain. And we're all powerless. And I think the, the Bible says the explanation for that is satanic power. Right? And so that leads me to the next passage, Ephesians 6. Um, I feel like we as Christians need to be cognizant that we're in a cosmic battle. Right? As Peter says, our adversary is out there. His name is Satan. His goal is to destroy us. And so we need to be watchful. We need to be vigilant. And we need to remember that we are at war. And the war is not with guns or swords. It's far more serious. The war is over sin and holiness and obedience and who is truly Lord. Every day, as you're confronted with temptations, you are engaged in this battle. Right? And so, uh, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> Carrie. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Yeah, just stop right there. I mean, I think it's so like compelling. Satan is not a bungling fool. Satan is not like this clumsy, like he's just, you know. He has schemes. He is like this bastard tactician. He is, I really like um, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, screw tape letters. He's always strategizing. How can I get you to open the door to sin? And do we not know that? Or do we think temptation and sin is innocent? Or something trivial? It is not. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Um, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Yeah. Um, 
sin is spiritual battle. I, I wrote in my notes here this illustration I wanted to share with you guys. If you guys remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, the first book, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, there's this scene where Edmund uh, meets the White Witch, and the White Witch has a Turkish delight. And uh, he's like, oh, it's so good, right? Uh, I remember after I read that book, I was like, what? where can I get these Turkish delights, right? And uh, the Turkish delights are just so enticing and so tasty and so wonderful. And then the White Witch says, I will give you more if you join forces with me. And Edmund's like, and then she also says, I'm going to make you a king. I'm going to make you co-ruler with me. Edmund's like, wow, great, wonderful. So he betrays his family, and, he's, and he allies with the White Witch. And if you know the story, what happens is when he, co- when he goes to the White Witch, he's completely shocked. Because instead of all the promises and the pleasure and the life that he was promised, she makes him what? Her slave. She throws him into prison. And he's like totally confused. What, what are you doing? Why am I in this prison? can I please have some more Turkish delights? <laughs> and she's like, no, right? And I think, it's a, I think C.S. Lewis here is giving us a wonderful picture of the power of sin. Sin starts out pleasurable, enjoyable, and promising power and greatness. But in the end, you're in prison and you're craving for more. Um, in, a, in psychology, they call it adaptation, right? Or, or you have tolerance. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the 20th instance of sin is never as good and as enjoyable as the first instance. And how do we explain that, right? Um, we can explain it biomedically, but I think uh, uh, the far more satisfying, deeper spiritual answer, which doesn't contradict the medical answer, though, is that um, sin, it starts out as you doing it pleasurable, but it ends up becoming enslavement. Right? Um, so... That leads me to my next point. Idolatry leads to bondage, which leads to death. Proverbs 5, uh, uh, Dan. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Yeah, can we stop right there? I mean, it starts out, he's talking about adultery, right? And we can, we can liken it to pornography. Right? It starts out <laughs> dripping honey. Honey, I mean, we're like, I feel like, I don't like honey. I feel like honey is like, nah. But back then, honey was the only natural source of super sweetened substance. It's basically the only natural candy out there. Honey is amazing. Honey is ridiculously expensive and just delectable and just like such a sweet luxury. So her lips are dripping honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. Everything is just so wonderful, so alluring. And then what happens? She turns on us, right? Verse 4, Dan. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Yeah. It begins with parties and cupcakes and wonderful feelings. <laughs> then it leads to bondage. And then it leads to death. No, that's, that's the story the Bible gives us. You guys know that. Um, part of what I wanted to do in this addictions class is really to generalize it and say this is true of all sin um, and this is true for all of us. And when we see a, a crazed out addict like addicted to um, alcohol, what we're seeing is the end result that we're on the same trajectory. They're just much, 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 much further along, you know? But we're, we're, we're right there with them. We're just earlier on in the trajectory and we're going in the exact same direction. Um, so let me end so very dark right now go 
<laughs> Don't be addicted anymore. Um, next week, we're going to talk about practical gospel solutions, okay? So if you feel like, okay, what's the answer? Come next week. <laughs> but let me give you some gospel hope. Otherwise, you guys will go up the, out there weeping. Um, and so uh, the greatest tragedy of addiction is that it, it, it destroys faith. Sin alienates us from God. And when we give in to habitual sins, we feel like we failed God, that God can't possibly forgive us again. Uh, I think that's totally true. Um, if you find yourself uh, committing, giving in to the exact same sin that you had promised God you would never do again, you just feel like God can't forgive, right? God's like, yes, but I forgave you yesterday. Why should I forgive you today? And this is why we need to drink deeply of the gospel. I think the worst, worst tragedy of addictions and sin is that it alienates us from God. Right? When you are in the throes of addiction or sin, you cannot pray. You cannot uh, be intimate with God. You cannot find communion with God. And that's the greatest tragedy. And what I want, like, the, 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 if you're going to learn one thing today, is that the deeper you understand your addiction, it should drive you deeper to come to God in Christ through the gospel. And this is the gospel that you are not saved by your moral effort. And I want you to listen to this, and please listen to it seriously and drink this in. God, you, you cannot make God love you more because you've abstained from sins, because you've lived a clean life. And God says, wow, I love you. No, neither can you make God love you less when you give in to these sins. God loves you as much as he loves Christ, because you have on Christ's righteousness. And neither your holiness nor your sins can increase or decrease His love for you, His affection for you, His approval of you that you already have in Christ. When you understand that, addictions will not destroy you. Uh, I think to some degree the, solution, the, the, the goal of my class is not to free you from addictions or to free your friends from addictions. You're like, oh, addiction-free. <laughs> We'd be Scientologists then, I suppose, right? Um, the goal is not to be sin-free. The goal is to create this paradigm or this understanding that in your sins, turn to Christ. And as you do that, that is part of the beginning of the solution to the power of sin in your life. Um, I just want to read some verses to you. Let me read them. Uh, um, and just please drink these verses in. The Lord is, is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The word steadfast there is the word uh, covenant love. So deep that meaning. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Do you know that? Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. How far away is east from west? Infinite. <laughs> Not 500 miles. Infinite. Right? As far as the east is from the west, right? Infinite. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. When God sees you, he does not see an addict. He does not see you habitually going back to your sins. He sees someone covered in the righteousness of Christ. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love that picture of a father. You know, when, when you are a son, and you, uh, when you sin against your father, when you do something uh, um, against them and rebel against them, 
the father is hurt. The father is disappointed. The father is sad, but the father does not diminish his love. Maybe earthly fathers do that, but our heavenly father does not. His love for you does not change. You are his son. You are not an employee. You are not a, um, you are not a conditional like team player or something. You are his son. And so his love for you will pursue you forever and ever. He will never let go. He will never stop. He will always be with you. Uh, we're going to introduce a song. Uh, I think Wade, you told Marsh to sing it, right? He chose it. Huh? He chose it. Oh, he chose it. Okay. But I, I, Christine was practicing. And this song, the lyrics, like, so moved me. Because the song basically says, God has never abandoned us. He will never let us go because he's our father. When I think about me as a father to Judah, there is nothing Judah can do. Judah literally slaps me in the face sometimes. <laughs> I'm like holding him, he's like slapping me. I'm like, Judah, stop! <laughs> Sorry. And then, two seconds later, slap, slap, slap. I'm Judah! Um, sometimes Judah, like I sit next to Judah and say, Daddy, no, go away, Daddy. And I'm like, Judah, that's hurtful. But there's nothing he can do to diminish my love. I love him. I'll do everything and anything I can to, to um, do good for him, to protect him. And that is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Let me end with John 1, 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wonderful picture. God is not like, look at Tub. He's on his knees pleading. He's so sincere. I will forgive him. No. He does not say that. He says, I must, by my demands of justice, by the demands of obligation, I must forgive Tub because Christ died in his place. Christ is his substitute. His righteousness covers over him. And so our security and our standing with God is rock, rock, rock solid. We cannot sin our way out of God's love. And so that's what I want to end with today. It's not uh, the full picture of the solution. I need a whole hour next week to talk about what is the practical solutions to addiction, um, which the Bible gives us plentiful reasons, uh, plentiful resources. But that's the first thing I want you to know, which is that um, you should always go back to the gospel and always know that Christ, you're secure in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we were enslaved to sin. And even now we experience the enslavement of sin. But thanks be to God who forgives us, who gives us Jesus Christ, who leads us out of slavery. Um, Lord, we pray that this truth would delight our hearts, would thrill our souls. And I pray, Lord, that as we think about addiction even next week, uh, please help us, enlighten us, help us to understand these incredible resources, gospel resources that you give us to battle sin, to fight sin, to be watchful, vigilant, on guard, to know that our adversary, Satan, prowls around wanting to destroy us, but we know that we have uh, the gospel as a shield around us, Christ who stands as our advocate. Um, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.